we just cover up that sort of gaping hole in our souls, you know, with, do I look good? And, and did you like what I wrote? And how many likes did I get on my Instagram post? And how many followers do I have? And then the next day you need it all over again. Hello, and welcome to Enough, the podcast. I'm your host, Mandy Leto. This show is a mashup of inspiration and exploration around what gets in the way of us feeling good enough. If you're a leader whose life looks shiny and together from the outside, but inside your inner critic assures you that you are one hot mess, this podcast is for you. It's time to own your worth, quirks, foibles, imperfections, and all. Welcome to Enough. Ladies and gentlemen, step right up, step right up to the Funhouse Ride. We are featuring the perfectionism cycle today. We start at the top of the mountain at I suck. Then we ride rapidly down to trying to be perfect, hustling, hustling, hustling for worth. Then we fail and then we end up right back up at I suck again. Step right up. Oh, sound familiar? I have Sarah Normandon in the house today, who is a therapist a coach, and an imperfection specialist. Why do we ride the funhouse ride of the perfectionism cycle? Sarah tells us. You get in this perfectionism cycle. Here we go. I'm terrible. I'm going to try to be perfect. It didn't work out. I'm terrible. I tried to, you know what I mean? And it goes on and on. And your real emotions are piling up over here. You know, everything that you don't want to deal with. Because perfectionism never actually goes away, we just get better at being with it. In today's episode, Sarah th shares three things that she does with her clients, who are mainly perfectionists, people recovering from burnout, and overachievers. She tells us how she guides them to manage their perfectionism. Grab your cuppa, I'll be right back. Sarah Normandin, thank you for coming to play with us on a topic very close to my heart and many of our listeners, perfectionism. Thanks for playing. Oh, I'm so happy to be here, Mandy. Tell us a little bit before we dive in who you are and what you do. Well, I am a therapist and a coach. I'm entering my 15th year of practice. So I've been doing this for a while. I started out working primarily with children and families. So I know a lot about early childhood development, which has actually really influenced my work. And then I sort of progressed to working more with mothers. And now I just sort of, I do the age span for sure. But primarily I have a private therapy practice and a private coaching practice. And what I know of you from your brilliant Instagram page is that you work with a lot of people who identify as perfectionists. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Perfectionists, yeah. overachievers, uh, people who tend to be very stressed out, people who tend to struggle with burnout and things like that. Okay. So you are speaking to the right people here. This is why I wanted you, <laughs> I wanted to, well, I wanted to play with you today. So I think most people will understand what perfectionism is more or less, but could you tell us 
because you work with people like this all the time, is there like one kind of perfectionism or are there various garden varieties of this? What is it actually? Oh, well, I think it can show up in a lot of different ways for people. And I think sort of one of the stereotypes, which isn't true, is that a perfectionist is always perfect and everything is always perfect. I think a perfectionist wants things to be perfect, but often they're not. And that's where the struggle is because the reality can never reflect sort of what they're they're hoping for. And what perfectionists are usually trying uh, to achieve is control, right? So it's a way to deal with anxiety. It's a way to deal with difficult emotions. And so it's anywhere from my house looking perfect and being really upset if my house doesn't look perfect or my family isn't perfect or I don't do you know a perfect job or my schoolwork isn't perfect. And a lot of people, you know, it can run the gamut. For me, it would show up like at work, I would get my work done way ahead of time because I was really stressed if I procrastinated. Like I had to know it was done. Other people, they'll procrastinate because they're so afraid of how they're going to feel when they try to sit down and do the work because they know it's not going to be perfect. So it really can look different uh, depending on who you are and your circumstances. I'm glad you said that, that it's not just about getting all A stars at school, that it can look like, I want to have the perfect wedding. I want my I want my home decor to be perfect. And really what you said, that underneath that, the little burning engine underneath that white knuckling for an outcome to look a certain way is really a deep desire to feel control. So I'm super curious, where does this actually come from? It comes from a mixture of things. So I think often people are born with a certain temperament, you know, that we just come here with. And often protect the perfectionists, I find, tend to be very sensitive to their surroundings. So they take in a lot of information from people and even what their space is like. I think that it also comes down through a family. So you may have a family, you may have a really critical parent or caregiver. Or you may have gone uh, to school and had a really critical teacher uh, during your development that just really affected you. You may have been bullied. Any number of situations in which you got the message that you weren't good enough and that uh, your environment was sort of beyond your capacity to cope with. And above and beyond that, also in our culture, you know, particularly in Western culture, perfectionism is sort of rewarded and applauded. So the perfectionism gets reinforced over and over and over again. So it's sort of the soup of It, it, of it is. That really resonates with me. And particularly the piece of that it gets reinforced time and again. It's one of those things that can almost be worn as a badge of honor. But really, I'm curious to hear what your feedback on this is. But when I looked at myself with this lens now, having I'm still an intermittent perfectionist, recovering perfectionist, recovering overachiever. I don't think it ever goes away. I'm not sure if it does, but it's dyed in the wool for sure. But when I look back at some of those behaviors for myself anyway, I would now be so bold as to say that it was almost like an addiction for me of needing that approval from somebody, you know, really overworking and then presenting a piece of work or, you know, hoping that someone will validate this kind of empty pit within me because I never felt good enough. So People from the outside needed to constantly reinforce that narrative that I was worthy. I did have some value, but it became like a, you know, I don't want to get on a semantic debate with compulsion, addiction, whatever, but it was definitely something that it's not like somebody could just say to you, oh, just quit it, quit your perfectionism. It was something that I I needed, that I got a hit from it. Is that something that you see as well? 
Sure. I mean, I think there's sort of this, again, for me, when I get going, when I notice that I'm striving for perfectionism or I'm striving for some kind of validation, I kind of backtrack in my mind and say, is this going to really make me feel like I'm good enough? Is this the thing that's going to fix everything? You know, and I, and I see that a lot with my clients, you know, they just think if they had the relationship, right, or the job or the money or the body or whatever it is that society, you know, they've gotten this message that probably all of the above, right? Like we are talking about, (laughs) right, exactly. Right. And that then they'll be, then they'll feel safe, you know, because that's what we're really talking about. It's, it goes way, way back to being, you know, wired to be in a tribe and to be safe because we had to be safe, you know, and we had to work together. And so you needed people to like you, right. Or you're going to get kicked out of the cave and you're going to get eaten by a tiger. So that this like very deeply wired need to be validated sort of just gets out of control. There isn't really an internalized sense of validation. And when you meet people who have an internalized sense of validation, you're like, what's wrong with you? Right? <laughs> who my coach is like this, and she jokingly calls herself a sociopath, but like she really does not need external validation. I it that makes no sense to me. But it's amazing to know that that can exist. And I just think that we just cover up that sort of gaping hole in our souls, you know, with, do I look good? And, and did you like what I wrote? And how many likes did I get on my Instagram post? And how many followers do I have? And then the next day you need it all over again, right? Because it only lasts like really briefly. Like you said, it is like a hit. And then it's gone and you're like, ooh, I'm feeling sort of low or something bad happened. And, I, and that's how you deal with everything. It's getting... Some validation, validation, validation. And the piece that you just said about, you know, needing to look a certain way, behaving a certain way, in my experience too, a lot of it was about image management. So even if I couldn't win, because there comes a time in your life where you can't win at everything. So then it becomes about damage control. If I can't win at everything, which happens to all of us at a certain age, instead of just kind of making peace with that and becoming this extraordinary person like your your own coach therapist is who doesn't need the external validation, then it becomes almost, again, just purely for me, it becomes like, at least don't lose in public or create this veneer that even whatever mishmash of uncertain feelings I might be roiling inside, on the outside, I can look like I have my shit together and everything is fine. And But it's it's this creation of this window dressing or this facade that can be in one's personal appearance or in how one speaks or holds themselves. Or I just trace this all back to kind of an image management. So if I can't win, at least I don't need to lose publicly, or at least nobody needs to know how I'm feeling inside because the window dressing is so credible. Can you speak to that for a moment? Yeah. I mean, personally, I've actually had people in my life tell me that I make them anxious because I seem to have it all together all the time. Because I don't feel like that. But I do see that I would go above and beyond to make it look presentable, that my house would look a certain way, that I would get my work done in a certain way, that I was always had, you know, I was not running around without makeup and, you know, fully dressed. You know, I made it look like I, I was functioning really, really well. And to me, that just seemed like, well, yeah, obviously, right? But to other people, they're like, no, that's not how we are, though. And you make us feel insecure because you always seem to have it together. But weirdly, that can be a compliment too. Of course. 
Exactly. And I was like, well, yes, of course, don't always have it together. <laughs> yeah. I, it's, it is a really, it ends up just sort of being the cycle of like, it's just reinforcement and reinforcement and reinforcement. And I think it's really important for us to acknowledge that no one likes to talk about this, but it, it does feel kind of good to feel like you're getting ahead of everyone else. There is a part of you that gets a little zing when you're like, oh, look at me, I'm doing well. And I don't think there's anything... I don't think that that's bad, but I do think it's false. You know, I do think you just can't keep that up forever, right? You and I both know that, right? You know where you end up when you're when you play this game for a long, long time and don't ever have vulnerability and don't let don't let anyone see is you fall apart physically. So, can you talk us through something that we could do, something very practical for for people who are just saying enough to perfectionism? Sure. I will try. Again, it's so it depends on the situation. But I think the first thing we can have is awareness. All of us usually have a tell or two. Mine is usually I'm fine or I need to eat vegetables. Like as soon as I start thinking about eating vegetables, I'm like, okay, I'm feeling uncertain, right? There's something that happens for me around like if I eat vegetables then the world will be safe. Or if I'm like, if I notice I'm talking to someone and I'm like, oh, this da 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 da, but it's fine. So what is it? That rider, but it's fine. Yeah, that means I'm trying to like. I just feel like a little dysregulated. I feel a little triggered. Something's going on in my life, and I'm feeling. Or you know, if I start really focusing on something I did wrong or someone else's perception of me, any of those things, you start to feel the. You start to feel it, you know, and you learn how you feel this in your body, right? This is probably something I practice with someone, but you know, you start to learn, oh, you start to have a feeling here, maybe, or you start having headaches, something happens, right? And you know you're triggered. And then usually what I will do, let's just say I'm working with a client and what's been something that's been coming up a lot is well, two things always come up. It's either relationships or I'm so disorganized. Let's go with I'm so disorganized, because I think this is a really good one. I see this all the time. So someone will come to me and say, I am so disorganized. I can't get anything done. Something must be wrong with me. I am lazy. I'm worthless. Why Why can't I get it together? And then usually what happens pretty much every time is we go through all the things they have on their plate. And it's too much. <laughs> it's simply too much. And then we go back and I would say, okay, where did this idea come from? That this, all of the, you were somehow supposed to manage all of this stuff. That's way too much. And so you might explore that. I'm going to get to a concrete tool. This is my favorite concrete tool, actually. I'm coming back to it. So we might explore that a little bit just so we can understand what that part of us wanted when it took on too much. It wanted to prove something to someone, probably. You might have had a critical parent who said you were lazy. You might have had a parent who, who said you were never good enough. You might have had a teacher who said you were never living up to your potential, something like that. So we sort of explore that a little bit just to put, give that part of ourselves an ease because that, that part is sort of driving the bus right now. Then in a practical way, and this is the most amazing thing that I've ever been through in a session before with someone. I, I was seeing this particular therapist at the time and I had, again, too much of my plate. I was really overwhelmed. I was feeling really inadequate. and she gave me a bunch of rocks and she said, let's take a rock for... We were at that time talking about my client schedule for a day. Let's take a rock for every client and let's try some different arrangements. And then you can feel... This is going to sound a little bit advanced, but it actually works when you practice. In your body, what feels like enough? 
And so we did some different arrangements and I could say like when it was like too many, I'd be like, you know, you get that tight feeling. And when it was like just right. So she'd move them around on the table? Mm-hmm. We're on a floor, but yeah, she was also a yoga teacher. So you can kind of imagine she had some stones. So it might be like, here's four clients, two in the morning and two in the afternoon. How does this feel to you? And so I learned over time to work with my yeses and my noes in my body and then apply it to my life. And that really, really helped. It's amazing. And I still do it. I was recovering from burnout. That was the year, first year I was really recovering from burnout. So that I sort of still use all the time. I go, do I want to do this? Yes or no? How does it feel in here? Even if my mind thinks, that's a great idea. You're going to look really smart if you do that. You're, people are going to... <laughs> right? I'm like, mm, just wait a second. What does this part of me want? And that's the part I try to go with as much as possible. This idea of checking in with your body is one of the most powerful anti-perfectionism tools that you can cultivate in your toolkit. Creating a little bit of space between saying yes to something and letting it really drop down into your body, wherever you might feel it. I kind of feel it in my sternum area or a little bit lower into my gut. Where do you normally feel your wisdom? So just checking in with the body to ensure, do I actually want to do this or am I doing this for some other reason? In other words, not to disappoint someone, aka people pleasing, or because I'm trying to manage my image or because I don't want confrontation. Do I really, really want to do this? The body holds wisdom that the head doesn't have access to. So this idea of really dropping into your body before instantly yesing to something and really checking in. Do I have the desire? Do I have the energetic capacity? Because even if I have the time, it doesn't mean I have the desire nor the energetic capacity. So noticing and starting to do that check-in with your body, game changer. What else could they do? I do like to do affirmations and I know a lot of people don't like them. Number one, and I hated them when I first started using them. And I remember when I first started working with them, I had to use something neutral. I want to think that I'm a good person. I think that literally was the first affirmation I worked with. Because usually when we're, I'm ta- working with a perfectionist type personality, at the very core of everything, they got the message at some point that they were bad and unlovable. And so we need to try to work them into a place where more of the time they feel like they have self-worth and that they are lovable. To me, a lot of that, I've had a lot of luck with myself and my clients working with some affirmations around self-love. I know it sounds so cheesy, but it works. It really works because you don't realize when you begin to notice your inner critical voice, it's like, I remember I was driving one day down the road and I was like, oh, you idiot. I probably swore. You know what I mean? I was talking to myself and I was like... (laughs) And then I started paying more attention. I I know. I realized how often I was sort of degrading myself all day and insulting myself and reprimanding myself and just... And I remember someone... I can't remember if someone said it to me or read it somewhere, but it was like, what if you looked at your child and you said all the things to them that you say to yourself all day long? It would be child abuse. That would be horrible. And so you've got to work on the self-talk and stuff when you're sort of in a more level place because it's really hard to fight it in the moment. I practice affirmations more like just when you're walking around and you're doing your housework. But my first one was, you know, I want to believe I'm a good person. And then I think I sort of moved up to, I think I could believe I'm I'm mostly a good person or I want to not harm people. I mean, it was really basic. And then to working up to, yeah, I love myself. 
And I know it sounds so cheesy and we don't really do great with that sort of thing in our culture, but I think it can really help people to be able to have some, you know, I'm worth something. Like I'm worth taking care of. It's okay if I don't do everything for everyone because I need to be taken care of too. I'm important. My needs are important. You know, all of that sort of self-discussion we have with ourselves about who we are and and what's okay and what's not okay. So say you're going around, you're you're doing the vacuuming and what might you say to yourself? Would you literally say like, I love myself, mm-hmm. I love myself, mm-hmm. I love myself? Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I love myself. I know. It really, I know people really struggle with it. I think in our culture, it's probably considered to some extent not okay to love yourself. But I don't think of it as like, oh, I'm so amazing. I mean, yeah, that's that's good. But it's like, I'm worthy of being loved. I am a lovable because there's a deep, deep part of ourselves that feels like maybe we're not. We're not unless we're perfect. It sort of releases some of the need for having other people validate you that way. Think about someone in your life from the the present or the past. It could be even an imaginary person. And think of someone who loves you and think about what they would say about you and to you if they were writing or talking about you. And you can even write a letter to yourself from them telling you all the good things they know about you. That really helps cement it. You know, if you had like a, a relative who, you know, an aunt or a teacher or someone in your life who you just really felt love from. And they would point out or knew about your good qualities, you know, really, really bringing them the energy of them, you know, with you. I found that those practices can be really, really powerful. I'm sure you can Google how to do this, but they're just letters from outsider witnesses. I love that you say this. I've done this recently and I found it really powerful because when I did this for about three different people and I saw that the similarities and patterns of what what those people, what I channeled that those people perceived about me, there was no correlation whatsoever between the things that they loved about me and the things that I chastised myself for. So nobody said, really looks good in a swimsuit. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Those aren't the things people care about. No. And there's this realization that the value that we actually bring are usually, I mean, there's, it's again, it's, it's simple, but not easy. How kind we are, how thoughtful we are. You know, are we a good listener? Are we a good friend? How we care, how we hold space for people. She brings me casseroles when I'm not feeling well. It's all of those things like my crooked tooth or my saggy butt or none of those things or whatever the opposite, whatever perfection would look like, you know, like you said, really, really love how clean Mandy's house is. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. So I think it's like taking the, taking this insight, I can see why this is such a powerful exercise and really realizing that the things we're judging ourselves for, possibly nobody else notices. And even if they don't, if they do notice, it doesn't matter so much. So it's a way of letting ourselves off the hook there. Absolutely. Yeah. And it makes so much sense that we want to keep ourselves in line so that we fit in and we're accepted by others. That part of us makes sense. It's just going about it the wrong way. You know, it's going about it from a child's eye view of the world. And it's just, it's as an adult, we now have agency and power and we can, we can be ourselves more and it's okay. You've got some really good blogs on your website. And there was one that I remember I took 
several pages of notes after I read this blog. And there's a question that you wrote down, which I'm going to, you may not even remember this since it might be somewhere in the yeah, probably years ago that you wrote, but this question was so powerful for me. So I'll, I'll ask you to comment or if you can fan this out a little bit for us. What does your mind fear it would lose if it let go of needing to be more, have accolades and to have approval? What does your mind fear it would lose if it let go of needing to be more, to have accolades, to have approval? This is what I find in the mind of the, of the perfectionist, again, speaking from sample study of one, but it's just more, 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 more. It's never enough. There's a, this nexting phenomena. Like my friend Melvin says, once you've climbed Everest, there's always the moon. And it's perpetuating this feeling of not enoughness. So I'm curious as we start to close the episode, what does our mind fear it will lose if we lay down the mooring and the nexting? Control, right? There's a false sense of control we get when we're constantly striving. And so you'll see, it's interesting during a session because this usually happens about 45 minutes into a session with someone I render them speechless, not because I'm amazing, but just because we you finally might be. Get, come on, own it. <laughs> maybe, but we finally get to the root of the problem, and then there's kind of nothing to say, right? Because the mind, that whole facade is gone. You're like, so okay, now what? So if you're not going to sit around all day and think about how terrible you are and how you can make yourself better, if we decide, if we've just proven that that's actually not doing anything for you then what do you have? And people are like, I don't know. So I think there's often like a, there's just this huge distraction. I often say it's like, you know, you get in this, this perfectionism cycle. Here we go. I'm terrible. I'm going to try to be perfect. It didn't work out. I'm terrible. I try to, you know what I mean? And it goes on and on. And your real emotions are piling up over here. You know, everything that you don't want to deal with, you know, grief, loss, you know, fear, all of it's over here and we're, we're getting stuck over here. And I think some of what's left is this stuff we haven't actually attended to or talked about. And also just like, who am I without this habit? You know, because it is such a habit. It's that this is what my mind does all day long. It berates me. It tells me what I need to do, you know? And so I think the mind, the mind feels very, it feels safer when it's problem solving, if that makes sense. Right. So that's sort of what the mind does. It solves problems. And so it always wants a chew toy. I like to tell people to get a different chew toy. I'm like, fine. If it wants a chew toy, give it something else to chew on, but not you, you know, and not maybe another person, but something else to think about, something else, whatever it needs, let it have something. And you can go and learn meditation and things like that. That can, those things can really help. But it's this empty feeling underneath that, that often we're all avoiding, right? And what I love, whether I can't remember whether it was the same blog post or a different one, but the other chew toy, okay, now I can never get that image out of my head. It's <laughs> is the chew toy could be this, which is also from one of your blog posts. How would I be or think or act if I believed I was already enough? Because I think without any chew toy, even still, I mean, I've been doing the work for a long time. That is so discombobulating. Like if I'm not in that cycle of, I remember when I was first asked that question, who would you be without those perfectionist thoughts? And my, my lower jaw just sort of fell open and I looked into the middle distance and I 
I was completely rendered speechless because the first thought that came to my mind is, how does anything get done? <laughs> how does anything get because it's such an it's that negative motivator, right? But all of a sudden, if we change this chew toy to something that is non-toxic, non-toxic chew toy over here of, you know, what would how would I be think and act if I was already enough or if I believed I was already enough? So it's a brand new chew toy, and then it's like, oh well, I probably would say nice things to myself when I'm doing the vacuuming, and I would feed myself really well, and I would. I wouldn't be such a dick to myself. I wouldn't swear at myself when I'm driving. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, who would I be if I didn't have to prove myself to anybody or anything, right? It's like, if I don't have to prove my worth, if I already know it, then what am I going to do? Then it feels like I, when I say that, and probably I've worked up to this, you know, I feel sort of freedom. I'm like, well, I don't have to prove my, I don't have to do anything. Now I can just do things I want to do for the most yeah, we all have our must-dos, but you know, other than that, I'm not trying to prove to anyone that I'm something different than I am. So it's unhooking in a way, like that we're coming back to where we started. A lot of this energy that we learned in school or from parents or from critical teachers around us, this judgment and this criticism, for me anyway, has morphed into this huffy, I'll show you energy of, again, having that negative motivator. So I will break myself and exhaust myself to prove to somebody who I don't necessarily even like or respect that much, just that I am worth it to show and prove them wrong. And realizing that we don't have to prove anything to anybody. We don't have to break and exhaust ourselves for anybody because that person won't be receptive to it anyway. Absolutely. I have actually forgotten. (laughs) This is a post I have to put it up on my Instagram today. But, you know, because I think that is so much what happens is that a lot of us, or perfectionists are trying to prove ourselves to a very well-meaning parent often who was just trying to, to get us... That's how they knew how to, to raise us and to get us to do what they thought was right so that we would be safe and okay. It's the criticism and it never being good enough and them trying to really... you know And their own self-criticism. And so there's so much of that that we keep... you know And I'm looking at my... You know, my, my husband and I both tend to be sort of... you know typical type A overachievers. And we're like, on our kid, you know, and we we're like, okay, (laughs) stop, stop. It's okay. It's okay. We don't need to control this right now. You know, but we learn to get through life by being good and by doing a good job and always being on time and saying the right things and always being kind and never showing our emotions in public, you know, and to give our own kid the gift of like, well, sometimes you have to, you know, there's there's reality to contend with, but that you don't have to be perfect all the time. It's okay. It's okay. You'll still be safe. Yeah. Oh, what a beautiful place to end. Sarah, I ask every guest to lay a brick on the journey to enough. It could be the thing that's most present for you as a recovering perfectionist or looking at it with your practitioner's hat on. It could be a piece of wisdom, a single word, and really what would be the wisdom that you would lay at the feet of somebody who was on this journey? What would you say? Well, I think what we were just talking about, who would I be if I knew I was already good enough right now? Mm. A new chew toy. A new chew toy. How can people hang out with you and experience more of your brilliance? 
My website is sarahnormandon.com and my Instagram handle where I'm pretty active most of the time because I'm having some tendonitis in my hand issues right now <laughs> um, is Sarah Normandon MSW. And you have so much wisdom there. It's just oh, every, okay. every single day, I'm practically, I have the same response to every one of your posts, like this lands, this lands, <laughs> this lands. <laughs> and what I love is that you're so practical as well. It's not that you're just sharing what's obvious, but you're also giving a solution. So thank you for who you be in the world. Aww. It's just such a joy to have you here with us today. Thank you so much for being with us. Aww, thank you for having me, Mandy. Who do you know who really needs to hear Sarah's episode? I'd be so darn grateful if you could share it. And you have something really interesting to look forward to. I'm steepling my fingers over here. Next week on the pod, I have Emmy-winning journalist, soon-to-be author, and business and media mentor, Abby Gibb. We go into all sorts of edgy, very hot, and unorthodox places in this conversation. We talk sex, we talk drugs, we talk shame, we talk image management, we talk Simone Biles. You won't want to miss this one. Here's a little preview of what you can expect. I just wanted to be perfect because I had learned from such an early age that if I wasn't, that was the only way I got attention. That was the only way people chose me. That was the only way I was of value in this world. And then TV, of course, fuck, that fuckery will really cement that idea because you won't have a job. It's like in my contract, if I gain weight, I will not have a job. They chose the exact shade of shitty overprocessed blonde that I had. Looking forward to playing with you again next week. This is Mandy Leto signing out for Enough, the podcast. Don't you love when I do that dramatic little exit? (laughs) Oh my God, I'm such a geek.